Welcome to Rock and Ice's My Epic Podcast, presented by Outdoor Research. I'm Daniel Tachik. As you already know, Outdoor Research has been at the forefront of mountain equipment innovation since 1981. Their products have shown them to be committed to improving the climber and alpinist's experience with awesome gear, from jackets to gaiters to bivy sacks. It's not about summits for OR. It's not about finish lines or sends. It's the journey. So if you've got a journey in the near future, check them out. You will not regret it. A constant theme throughout these stories so far has always been weather. As we hear from Phil Broskovac, he learned just how dangerous weather can be, how fast storms can move, and how much a lightning strike can hurt. Thank you, as always, Outdoor Research, for your continued support of this podcast and the sport as a whole. Their dedication to innovation and high-quality products is unmatched. All right, here we go. On August 13th, 2005, my wife, two of our three kids, my nephew, his girlfriend, uh, my faithful crag dog, Goldie, and I all scrambled up to the base of Walt's Wall in Vedavu, Wyoming, for a fun-in-the-sun family climbing day. Leading the two short pitches of Edward's Crack, 5.7, In one long, continuous pitch, I built a gear anchor, tied my double ropes together, and set up a 60-meter top rope and wrapped. Everyone was soon thoroughly engaged in the climbing and having a great time. Everyone, that is, except me. Earlier, I'd heard distant thunder, and I watched the intensifying clouds uneasily. All right, time to go. The first cold drops of rain splattered on the wall as I started back up the route to retrieve the gear, reaching for the anchor just as the storm blew up directly overhead. Pulling the pro and trailing the double ropes, I scrambled up and over rightward to a bolted wrap station, knotted the ropes through the wrap rings, clipped in, and began pulling the rest of the ropes over the throw below. They were stuck. But the storm was ever-worsening so I unclipped and hurried back across the wet, steep slab, finding my ropes entangled in scrub brush. Feeling super frantic, I just ripped the bush out by the roots, bundled the wad into my arms, and stumbled back over to the anchor. I threw the tangle down, fed the ropes through my blade device again, and started wrapping. Fifteen feet down, I saw my ropes still tangled with the shrubbery on an in-cut ledge filling with water. I reached for them clipped my daisy chain into a nearby bolt, and ducked to clear the mess. And that's when it happened. With a simultaneous blinding flash and deafening crash, a blast blew me off the ledge. At first, I couldn't move. All was pain, as if I'd just been stung by 10,000 wasps from the inside out. Consciousness returned in an odd, out-of-focus jumble. I was hanging by my daisy, and the rope somehow unfurled perfectly to the ground. Had I not clipped my daisy in before reaching down to clear the rope, I for sure would have hit the deck. On the rock at head height was a big black scorch mark, 
from the lightning strike. Had I not also dropped to clear the rope exactly when I did, I would have probably been drilled right through the ears. Now, you may not be surprised to learn that, compared to the general population, climbers are more at risk for lightning strikes due to a lifestyle that puts us on walls, peaks, and ridges in proximity to storms. Direct strikes from the sky are rare and almost always fatal. Most victims die instantaneously. Ground currents are the most common danger and may be deadly. Splashover, crossover, or side flashes, also considered lightning strikes, are the next most common cause of fatalities, and in survivors can cause lifelong injuries and symptoms. Unfortunately, over several decades in the mountains, I've had an abnormal amount of lightning encounters, even among climbers. All told, I've experienced dozens of strikes within 100 meters of me, been blown off my feet at least six times, suffered a dozen ground shocks from mild to severe, and been blasted twice with splashover strikes. During storm season, I can't help feeling like Zeus's target. I fear the sky. In 1978, I bivvied in the cirque below the north face of Pyramid Peak near Aspen, Colorado, setting up a tombstone-like slab with only a lightweight rainfly over me. The storm that evening unleashed a hellish fusillade of lightning bolts close enough to pepper my rainfly with rock shrapnel and blind me even through tightly clenched eyes. In 1987, Jim Nigro and I were on Mount Sacagawea in the Wind River Range of Wyoming when the entire summit began to hum, buzz, and crackle, and the rock stung to touch. Feeling shocks racing up and down my spine and fearing contact with my metal rack, I mean, metal does not attract lightning, but it does conduct it, I repeatedly heaved my pack ahead of me as we fled full tilt down the mountain. That night as we camped in Titcomb Basin, jarring spasms shot from my tailbone to the nape of my neck causing me to twitch uncontrollably. In 1991, Joe Callahan and I were six days up, way beyond the point of retreat on the hallucinogen wall in the Black Canyon of the Gunnison, when a violent storm terrorized us, beginning before dawn. In under two minutes, we were wide awake, out of our port ledges, into our aiders and holding knives in hands, wondering how much metal we could cut loose and still make the rim. Later that day, with no option but to climb out, Joe was leading the last delicate aid pitch when the wind grabbed both the haul bag and me. Pelted by hail and suspended in space at the end of a six-foot tie-off, I was battered against the bag as I struggled to belay. Through the howling wind, I could hear a static charge building up behind my head to a deafening buzz. Surrounded by electrical potential, in that moment, I was sure I was a dead man. Then the crackling static and the wind stopped. The haul bag and I crashed together back into the wall, and a massive bolt of lightning, close enough to feel its heat, blasted into the Gunnison River 1,500 feet below. The day after the Vedavu strike, I couldn't stand up straight and hurt on every inch of my body from head to toe. Every hair follicle felt as if it was on fire and walking made me wince. I had difficulty seeing and hearing on my left side, and was only marginally coherent. But since I was up and breathing, and we were on vacation, we didn't bother with a doctor or a hospital visit. 
What I didn't know then was that being struck was only the beginning. Lightning can cause brain injury and seriously damage the nervous system. Survivors often face a terrible solo journey, a struggle, sometimes lifelong, to return to normalcy. At first, and for many years after that critical strike, I would inadvertently slip into a black hole that I like to call lightning fugue. These episodes would come on often, like bouts of malaria, varying in intensity and duration, sometimes lasting days, even up to two weeks in the early years, and leave me a shaking husk. Recovery from these fugues felt like rebuilding a tumbled Jenga tower, balanced in midair from top down. At different times, I experienced insomnia, generalized pain, hypersensitivity to sound, difficulty forming or writing words, and an inability to regulate my body temperature. I still have tinnitus and can panic at the grocery store from hearing the faux thunder and lightning as produce is watered. Fortunately, in the last five years, the symptoms have eased, and I've learned to recognize the signs of fugue rising and redirect myself. I find my strongest and healthiest connections through helping others. In that spirit, I do ongoing lightning safety outreach programs for students through the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, the Weather Service, and recently spoke at a presentation of the Lightning Data Center, St. Anthony's Hospital, Lakewood, Colorado. Lightning awareness and safety are critical to climbers and other outdoors people. And the more messaging about it, the better. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to learn more about lightning safety, be sure to visit the NOAA website at www.nws.noaa.gov. As always, thank you to Noisy Waters for the music, and thank you, Outdoor Research, for helping us bring these stories to life. 